This afternoon, we confess the Belgic Confession, Article 34, on baptism. This is a little lengthy, so allow me to read it for you, listening along. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law, has now, by the pouring out of his own blood, put in place the end of having to use the pouring out of all other bloods for the propitiation of sin, and having abolished circumcision, which was occurring in blood. He instituted baptism in its place, by which we are received into the church of God and separated from all other peoples and foreign religions, since we have been consecrated to him alone, whose signet and insignia we bear. And finally, baptism is a testimony to us that one himself, who is the favorably inclined father toward us, will be God to us throughout eternity. Therefore the Lord commanded all his own to be baptized by pure water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in order that through the name of the Holy Spirit he would indicate the blood of Christ to work and act internally in the soul in the same way that water operates externally upon bodies. For just as water, having been poured out upon us and residing upon the body to be baptized and itself clearly seen, washes filth away from the body, so too the blood of Christ also cleanses, or rather cleans, that one from sins, washes the soul, and thoroughly cleanses it from iniquities, and regenerates us children of wrath as children of God. But this does not happen because of this material of the water, but by the very sprinkling of the most precious blood of the Son of God, who is for us as the Red Sea through which it is necessary to cross, so that we can escape from the tyranny of the Pharaoh, that is, of the devil, and to enter into the spiritual land of Canaan. And so, ministers certainly offer sacraments and the visible thing to us, but the Lord himself produces what is signified in the sacraments, certainly in the invisible gifts and graces, washing, purifying, and cleansing our souls from all their filth and sins. Likewise, renewing and filling up our hearts with all consolation, and finally, granting assurance of his fatherly goodness to us, and clothing us with a new man, and stripping off the old with all of its deeds. On account of these reasons, we believe that every person who seeks to obtain eternal life ought to be baptized with one, and once is enough, baptism, which is, is never to be repeated afterwards, since we certainly cannot be born twice. Nevertheless, this baptism not only benefits us only in that moment at which water settles upon us or at which we are moistened by it, but also throughout the whole span of our life. And so we call down a solemn curse upon this heir, the Anabaptists, who not only have not been content in receiving baptism once for all, but who also damn the baptism of the children of the faithful. We believe that for the same reason. They ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant in which little children were once circumcised in Israel, certainly because the same promises have been made to our infants. And in fact, Christ has poured out his blood so that he would wash adults no less than infants. And therefore, it is fitting for them to receive the sign or the sacrament of the thing that Christ has done for their sake, just as is in the law, the Lord commanded the sacraments of the death and suffering of Christ to be communicated to recently born children by offering a lamb in their place, which was a future sacrament of Christ. In addition, the things that circumcision fulfilled for the Jewish people are the same things that baptism fulfills for the children of the faithful. And this is the reason why Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider uh, the mystery of the sacraments and baptism in particular, we pray that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you would help us to understand these things. 
And please uh, make clear the fact of our sin through the law and the fact of salvation through grace alone and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. That is found on page 1016 of your pew Bibles. Repeat that is first Peter chapter three verses eighteen through twenty two. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This is part 7 in our series on what is the Reformed faith. And this afternoon we will do two things. We'll briefly look at the Reformed definition, the understanding biblically of a sacrament. And in particular we'll look at the sacrament of baptism. And this is a critical thing as we're trying to uh, persuade our friends. of uh, The Reformed faith is to understand what a sacrament is and how baptism and the Lord's Supper function as sacraments in the church today. There's a lot of misunderstanding, so we want to set the record straight. So we'll do three things. First, we'll define a sacrament, make it clear what it is. Secondly, we'll define baptism. And thirdly, we'll argue very briefly for paedobaptism, also called infant baptism. So first of all, what is a sacrament? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 66, is pretty clear about this question. It says the sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals appointed by God for this end, that by the use thereof he, that is God, may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely that he grants us out of free grace the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Again, let's understand this. It says the sacraments are visible signs and seals appointed by God for this end, that by the use thereof He, God, may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that He grants us out of free grace the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. So there are a couple of components here. First of all, a sacrament is a sign. It displays something to your eyes about what Christ has done. Secondly, it is a seal. It is a physical, earthly thing that confirms to your faith 
what is true about what God has done on the cross. So a sacrament, very simply, is a seal, or rather a sign and a seal, of something God has done for you through Christ. That's all a sacrament is in its very simplest form. Now, the sacraments, we say, are also a means of grace. Sacraments aren't a power or an engine of grace, but the sacraments, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper, as a means of grace, a means through which God works. Belgian Confession 33. The sacraments nourish and sustain our faith. The sacraments nourish and sustain our faith. So notice in contrast to baptistic views of the sacraments, which is very dominant in our culture today, uh, baptistic views are that uh, sacraments reflect the faith of one, so you're baptized and this reflects your your commitment to God. We say the Bible is saying that the sacraments actually nourish and sustain faith. They do something to your faith. The Belgic says again, sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if this is true, and we say that it is biblically, think of how profound the sacraments are and how important they are every single Lord's Day, at least the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. It's not just uh, you know, crackers and juice. It's not just something you're doing to remember what Christ has done for you. It is that. But it's also a way in which God nourishes you and feeds you. So the Belgic also makes a comparison of the sacraments to, um, especially the supper, uh, between the physical thing and the spiritual thing. Just as you need food each week, every day, usually three times a day, so you need the sacraments every single Lord's Day. That is the Lord's Supper and the preaching of the Word. If you don't receive these things every Lord's Day, you'll dry up and shrivel up just like your body would if you didn't have food. That is what the Word of God says. And you say to me, well, I need support. Help me to understand that from the Word of God. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, a very powerful passage about what sacraments are and how they function. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1-4, through 4, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, for the Israelites, all of these things, the cloud, that is the pillar of cloud that, that went in front of Israel <clears throat> as it left Egypt, uh, and at night it was a pillar of fire. Uh, that cloud, the sea, the manna, and the water from the rock, all these things had earthly benefits. So the cloud protected uh, Israel from the heat of the day. Uh, it showed the way forward. The sea parting provided a path through which uh, Israel could uh, cross and the Egyptians were judged. Of course, manna and water, uh, water from the rock, was critical in the desert. You couldn't live without these things. But the cloud, the sea, the food, and the drink also had spiritual benefits. As the Israelites participated in the earthly things linked to the redemption from Egypt, they participated in the work of God. So as they were under the cloud and went through the sea, they were baptized into Moses, God says. That means they became Moses' disciple by virtue of participating in these earthly signs. 
They are sacramental. They are signs and seals of what God was doing, leading them out of Egypt by Moses. So God just didn't appear invisibly. That's the contradiction in terms, of course. God wasn't just there that they had to believe in him. They actually saw a visible manifestation of God in the cloud. And there are all these earthly things that gave, uh, uh, that helped Israel increase their faith in God. And so these earthly things have spiritual benefits. So Paul says the manor, manna and the water from the rock are called spiritual. Something physical, signs and seals, something spiritual. That is all a sacrament is. Something physical, signs and seals, something spiritual. So one person explains that the rock was Christ, refers to the stream of water, which never ceased to accompany the people. That is, God commanded the water that was drawn out from the rock to flow forth whenever the people journeyed as if the rock itself had followed them. So we say then that Christ was connected to the rock sacramentally. Christ was not the rock, literally. Christ was not in the rock. The rock stands for Christ. So the rock pointed to Christ. And there was a sacramental nature to this rock and the water that was provided in the fact that the rock is called Christ. The rock is Christ. This is sacramental language that is all over the scriptures. So that's why we think the supper, for instance, is sacramental when Jesus says, the body is, or rather, this bread is my body. And this cup of the new covenant of my blood is, or this cup is the new covenant. Um, also, uh, Genesis 17, circumcision is the covenant. The covenant is circumcision. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.9, Christ is our Passover lamb, not just represent, is our Passover lamb. Hebrews 9.22, the sacrifices of the law are expiations. This is sacramental language. That is, the physical signs signify and seal something spiritually. So, under our first point, very simply, a sacrament is something physical that signifies something else and it seals something else. It makes that thing real and tangible and confirms the thing that is offered as you have faith. And to be clear, there are just two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the two sacraments. And so again, to make it very clear, a sacrament... A sacrament is a visible sign and seal of what God has done for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can call it, if we wanted to, the visible word, which the reformers did. Secondly, what does baptism mean? Well, the Belgic Confession, Article 34, is making the point that water baptism replaces the bloody rite of circumcision. Very important to understand. You can't understand baptism without understanding that water baptism replaces circumcision. Circumcision through a cutting ceremony involving blood was a visible sign and seal that a person and family belonged to God. Water baptism through a washing ceremony replaces circumcision is a visible sign and seal that a person and family belong to God. Baptism replaces circumcision because Christ was circumcised in his entire body, that is, cut off, and dead, according to Colossians 2. Because of this, there's no need of a bloody rite any longer, like circumcision. Now, a water event is used, not a bloody event. 
Thus both the rites of circumcision and baptism point to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his benefits. Again, brothers and sisters, this is so important because people misunderstand sacraments and they even misunderstand the, the full meaning of baptism and the Lord's Supper. But one of the first moves you make is say, hey, people were marked out by God in the Old Testament by circumcision. They're marked out by God today by water baptism. And both point to the cross of Christ. So notice the uh, Heidelberg definition of baptism. Uh, answer 69. It asks, how is it signified and sealed to you in holy baptism that you have part in the one sacrifice of Christ. And that's, that was the definition of a sacrament, right? A sacrament signs and seals your participation in the cross of Christ. Well, how does baptism do that? The answer or question asks. Uh, the answer is thus, that Christ has instituted this outward washing with water and joined to it this promise that I am washed with his blood and spirit from the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as certainly as I am washed outwardly with water, whereby commonly the filthiness of the body is taken away. Question 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? We just said that's what baptism is. What does that mean? Answer. It is to have the forgiveness of sins through, uh, from God through grace for the sake of Christ's blood, which is shed for us in the sacrifice on the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die into sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Now again, let's be honest. How many times have you seen uh, infant baptism up front or adult baptism and it, you know, it really sort of becomes warm fuzzies? It's like, oh look, that baby's, they're pouring water on that baby, isn't that cute? Or, you know, there's that adult and they're pouring water on, on him or her and this is something to do with the church. I mean, that's typically, you know, how people think. Like, this is, it's kind of cool and it's neat and it's, it's a part of our tradition. But no, it's biblical to do these things and as you watch somebody up front being baptized, whether it's an infant or an adult, God is working in that person's life. It seals, rather it signifies and seals that they belong to God and their sins are washed away and they're renewed by the Spirit of God. So let's summarize and give the biblical support. Baptism, first, identifies a person as belonging to Christ and that person is a disciple of Christ as a person in the Old Testament was a disciple of Moses by identification with him. So in baptism, the person is being identified as belonging to Christ, being named in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The basis of this is found in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says, All authority belongs to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, disciples, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity and teaching them everything I taught you, and lo, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. So the first thing you should think of when you see a cute baby up front being baptized is not how cute the baby is and how wet they're getting by the water, but, oh, they're being named in the name of the Trinity. God is putting His hand, His mark on that child. That child belongs to Yahweh, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you think of. They're being marked out by God. Baptism signifies and seals specifically the work of Christ's blood and Spirit to forgive you of your sins and to make you alive by the Holy Spirit. In short, 
Baptism is a promise that you are being set apart for God and cleansed and that all the promises of the covenant uh, that God will be your God are true. So two specifics in this definition. One is the work of Christ, His shedding of the blood, is signified and sealed to you. And secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is also being sealed and signified. First, the work of Christ, Acts 2.38. Peter says, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for one end, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And so, the benefit of the covenant of grace justification is signed and sealed to you. And secondly, uh, the work of Christ's Spirit to regenerate and sanctify it is also a benefit of baptism. So one is born again when the Holy Spirit renews the heart over time, washes away the pollution of sin, which we call sanctification. So Paul says in Titus 3.5, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So what is signified and sealed in baptism is renewal of the Holy Spirit. In summary, baptism is the sign and seal of the covenant of grace, which includes the benefits of justification by the blood of Christ and sanctification by the Spirit of Christ. A shorter definition would be, baptism is a sacrament that signifies and seals that you belong to God through Christ. And you have all the benefits of belonging to God. Now, um, part of the burden of this preaching series has been to explain the unique aspects of the Reformed faith to the evangelical culture. And we could say that, safely today, a majority of evangelicals are Baptists. That is, they don't believe that it's proper, and they would even say it's sinful, to apply the sign of the covenant baptism to kids. So we have to be very clear that this is a biblical thing. It isn't just tradition or something that's fun to do. It is biblical. The Bible says you must baptize. But where do we see that in the Bible? Well, because infants and children of at least one Christian parent belong to God, they must be baptized, demonstrating, that is, signing and sealing, that they belong to Him, demonstrating, signing and sealing, that all the benefits of the covenant of grace belong to them. Why do we say that all infants and children are a part or in the covenant of grace uh, because they belong to Christian parents? Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. Here he says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So Paul's point here is that the believing spouse of an unbeliever is not made unholy in a mixed marriage. Even if she is married to an unbeliever, she can remain in the marriage and it is legitimate. Otherwise, notice Paul says, your children would be unclean, meaning that if your children existed in a marriage between two unbelievers, they would not be considered holy. That is in the covenant of grace. But if the child exists in a marriage of just one believing parent, they are holy, meaning that they are in the covenant of grace. On that basis, being in the covenant, you must baptize your kids. 
In short, Paul is saying that if a baby, a child, in a family with at least one Christian parent, that child belongs to, to God. They are in the covenant. And so you must baptize them. Again, what is the biblical support for this? Well, going back to the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant of grace was circumcision. So, the Gospels promised in Genesis 3.15, the head of the serpent will be crushed by Christ. Paraphrasing, glossing. Um, that is repeated in Genesis chapter 15, where God says, I will be your God, Abraham, the God of your children, through this sac- sacrificial ceremony. So, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, God has Abraham slit these, or chop these animals in two, God walks through the sacrifices, calling down curses upon himself if the conditions of the covenant are not fulfilled. This is the enactment, the, uh, the uh, sealing of the covenant of grace, which you're a part of today. And the power of the covenant of grace is that God does everything. He is the one who promises to be sacrificed in your place if the conditions are not fulfilled. They're not fulfilled by people, so God has to take on the conditions of the covenant, you see, by sending His only dear Son, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed in your place. So that's what is going on in Genesis 17, when God says, Abraham, you and your male uh, kids have to be circumcised. That uh, ceremony of circumcision points back to Genesis chapter 15, in which... The covenant is made between God and his people through a cutting ceremony. And so it just makes sense that circumcision is a cutting ceremony. The foreskin is cut, it is sacrificed as it were, blood is shed to say that sacrifice has to be done for salvation. Then if you go to Genesis chapter 22, the same thing happens. I mean, is it any mistake that God has Isaac almost kill his son with a knife? No. The knife is a cutting ceremony, saying, cut off your son, literally, like kill him. Abraham, Abraham says, all right. He goes to kill Isaac. There's a substitution. The ram is now cut instead of Isaac. Instead of you being cut off forever, Christ is cut off. And that's Paul's point in Colossians chapter 2. Okay, so in the Old Testament, circumcision signifies and seals all these things. The same to people, look, I'm going to show you why you believe to me. I'm going to mark you off as my people through circumcision. As kids are circumcised, you're reminded that there must be a sacrifice for you to be saved. But it's not in the sacrificial system. It's not in that knife-cutting ceremony. It looks forward in time to the sacrifice of Christ. And this is precisely why Paul says what he does in Colossians chapter 2. Now with that background... Look at what Paul says, as he clearly says, baptism replaces circumcision. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, not a physical circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you see, Paul links circumcision with baptism. Both point, that is, circumcision and water baptism, both point to the work of Christ on the cross. Paul explains this work as a circumcision of Christ, that is, Christ's entire body is cut off in death, and this is done for the salvation of his people. As physical circumcision in the Old Testament pointed to a circumcision without hands, that is consecration, so does baptism point to the circumcision made without hands, that is consecration. And that is why this is a proof text that water baptism replaces circumcision. Paul could have said here, you are, your body is cut off, that is consecrated. That's what he means here. You're being consecrated, set apart by God. But what term does he use for these New Testament folk? Circumcision. And sometimes we act like, oh, well, circumcision was this Old Testament thing that Jews did. It's kind of, it was just physical. You know, that's all it was. I'm like, no. It pointed to the circumcision of the heart then too. And so Paul says, look, that as a sign of the covenant of grace in the New Testament is now water baptism. And on that basis, of course you include your kids in a covenant that is more inclusive than the old covenant. Now women can be marked off. Women were a part of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament, but they couldn't receive the sign. Now women receive the sign as well. And of course children receive the sign of the covenant of grace. Why wouldn't they? So it's really a crazy argument to say that, no, the character of the covenant is different today, so you don't baptize kids because they don't have faith yet. That's crazy. Of course kids have to be marked out in the covenant of grace, just like they were in the Old Testament, in a covenant that's more inclusive. Well, finally, our passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, let's look at one verse, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, that is uh, Noah's Ark being brought to safety, uh, now saves you. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a passage that proves that baptism is a sacrament that is applied to the whole family. Uh, it doesn't matter. The whole family of uh, just one Christian uh, parent, say, the dad, all of them receive the sign of baptism. And many people were protest. It's like, what, how can you do that? Because, you know, what if the kids don't believe or protest or whatever? God says it doesn't matter. You mark out the whole family through baptism. And Peter's point here is that this essentially is what happened to Noah and his family. If you read Genesis in context, it's very clear that the ark is the church of God. There are eight people who go through the waters, the flood waters, and Peter's saying that corresponds to baptism. Those whole people were baptized through the flood. But as they were saved through waters, the flood waters, everybody else was judged. So Peter's also saying there are two signs to uh, baptism, one is salvation, positive, the other is negative, judgment. But you say, well, how does that work with baptism today? So what if the kid says, no, I don't want any part of this? How can you baptize him? Well, that's exactly what God did with Noah and his family. Notice that Ham clearly is not a believer, but he was baptized as a church of God. He comes out the other side and denies the faith, essentially. Well, it may be, Lord, permit. Uh, I hope this doesn't happen. 
that one of our kids could deny the faith. Well then, baptism, you see, works as a sign of judgment for that child. You say to that child, look, walking away from the church is incurring the wrath of God upon you. He's named you already in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been marked out. You can't walk away from the church. What are you doing? And if they do, then that water serves to drown him or her, as it were. Just like the folks outside of the ark in the Old Testament. So it has both of these dimensions, both salvation and judgment. Well, there's much more to say, but in conclusion, brothers and sisters, we are clear that first, a sacrament is a visible sign and seal of something God has done for you through Christ. Secondly, a baptism is a specific sign and seal that says you belong to God and you enjoy all the benefits of the covenant of grace. And then finally, uh, infant baptism is clearly biblical. Our kids belong to the Lord and they are entered formally into the church through the sacrament of baptism. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.